and after that, Pastor Dave. Blessing to be here this morning. I thank you all very much for for having us here. It's always no problem. It's always humbling when I go to a place and there's so many people that know my dad. Um, and some of you may or may not know. I'm not sure. Some of you guys definitely do know my dad. He was a missionary for 21 years in Wales. Um, it was a blessing to grow up under. A precious man. Very humble. And I praise God for a godly heritage. Yes, amen, son. It's important that we raise up another generation and pass the Word of God down through them. And although I wasn't saved when my dad moved back to the States, I still feel like I departed from the faith because I went the way of the world in spite of the heritage I grew up under. And I want us to turn this morning to Joshua chapter 1 because it kind of... I was pretty much saved and called to preach around the same time. It was four years ago, back in May 2018. Sorry, three years ago. My math's not good. shouldn't work in a bank. <laughs> He's a banker. <laughs> wow. <laughs> By grace through faith. <laughs> not of works, lest any man should mess up. <laughs> Um, yeah, amen. But yeah, I thank the Lord this morning for a body of believers. I thank everyone for being here this morning. It's a precious place to be, the house of God. My mom and dad moved back here when I was probably 18, 19, something like that. And I went in the way of the world. I got very messed up, very lost. When I was 32 years old, many things happened in my life that just brought me to the end of myself. Everything kind of came crashing down. And really what was happening was the Lord was dethroning me, dethroning the pride in my heart and setting up His kingdom. I couldn't see that at the time. But He's a God of providence. Amen? Amen. And through all these things, I'm not going to go into too much detail this morning, but through all these things, he led me back to the States. I hadn't seen my parents for a very long time, apart from one wedding of my sister getting married to a, to a lost man. So I decided to come back to the States and see mom and dad, but I was still lost, so I still planned and intended to move to Atlanta and do my own thing. But I remember knowing, even, even on the flight back, that as soon as I was under my dad's roof, at 32 years old, that meant I had to be in the house of God. That meant I had to go to church with him. Just out of respect. I could have argued, but why would a 32-year-old man argue with a man of God like that? I was mature at that point to a certain, certain level. But let me tell you, you don't need to do that. You don't need those arguments. You can be mature whatever age you are in that, in that way, in that fellowship. Especially growing up under your parents' roof. So I went back and I knew that I had to be in the house of God, and sure enough, Wednesday night came and Sunday night came, and I went to church. Sunday morning came. It was one of those services, I don't remember which one, but I remember hearing the gospel. And I was battling it, I was fighting it, and I was saying, I don't want to come back here again. This is this is too much after everything that's happened to me. This is I just want to get out of here. 
But as soon as the altar call was made, as soon as the music started, suddenly, there came the voice of God. And He started speaking to my heart. And there was a call I couldn't resist. Yeah, that's right. There was a call that broke my will in half. I couldn't help but go to the altar. I didn't want to. But I couldn't help but do it. And I'm telling you, when I bowed down at that altar, and I poured my heart out to the Lord, and He gave me grace. I wasn't deserving by any means. I wasn't seeking after God. But He gave me that grace. And when I stood up, I was a different creature. Yeah. I was a whole new being. I had a whole new purpose in life. Yeah. I remember I couldn't wait to tell my dad. Not long after I told him, I said, i got to get baptized. <laughs> I just have to get baptized. I have to identify with this Lord that saved me, the Savior of my life. And I had to testify in front of the church. I had to tell the church what had happened to me. I didn't really know this church. I just moved to the States. I hadn't been there but a week or two. But I had to tell God's people what the Lord had done for me. And in doing so, I had to I had to give a word about a 15-minute testimony. And it was kind of then, really, when I look back, that I realized that I was called to preach. Because I wanted to share what the good Lord had done for me, but I wanted to tell people about His Word, about how good He is. Hey. And I want to read just a few verses this morning. Joshua chapter 1. And we can read from verse 5 to verse 9. And if you're able, if we could stand for the reading of the word just to reverence the Lord. says, There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. And as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land, which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. You can be seated. I love this portion of Scripture because it's talking about the Mosaic Law here. It's talking about the the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. But this is the very foundation of the Word of God. And the Ten Commandments display God's character. It displays His holiness. It displays who He is. And it was that showing of the holiness of the Lord that really brought me to Him. When He showed me that grace and showed me who He was and the goodness of God, that all I'd done, and in spite of myself, He was still calling me unto Him. I was overwhelmed by it. I couldn't believe that God would call such a person like me to preach His Word, to stand before people, to share it. But as I read the Bible, I'm often looking out for portions of Scripture that talk about the Word. 
Because people are either doing the Word of God, you have all these books named after these people that have gone forth and done the Word of God. They've done what God commanded them to do. And of course you have the falling away and the warnings and those things. But from Genesis to Revelation, it really is just a picture of Christ. From start to finish and what He's done, His commandments, how holy and how righteous He is. And how man need Him. All throughout the Scripture, we need the Lord. From start to finish, we need the Lord. He is the God of both ends, well and truly. And when I think about that with my testimony, and then I think about it with the college, biblical truth, that we don't turn from the right hand or to the left, but we follow it in all its statutes, all its, all its judgments, the way that it should go, that we take it seriously. And when I was called to preach, one of the first things the Lord told me is, got to take this book seriously. This is the Word of God. People need this in their life. I exhort you this morning, especially as young people, if you haven't read the Bible from cover to cover, it's worth it. But find something in there that's really catching you. These people made a mark on history. This is the only history book that you really need. That's great if you're going on to be a history major, but bear in mind some of that stuff the colleges and schools are teaching these days is far from the Word of God. It's far from truth. Take it with a pinch of salt. Take the Bible with a pinch of salt. Be flavorful. Be that salt. Be that life. Be what the world needs to see. The dark world needs a shining light. And that's what the Lord really placed on my heart when I was called to preach. And that's what I can say about the college this morning. As I'm kind of explaining myself and the college to you. Is the Word of God is paramount. And I can tell you, Georgia Baptist College, they've taught me. If you saw me when I first went there. I couldn't stand before a bunch of people and even lift my voice high enough to be heard. But they do speech class. And they do other practical classes that we need. But they teach the Bible from cover to cover. In the first semester I was there, first two semesters, I'd read Old Testament survey and New Testament. They taught me all about it, but I'd read the Bible from cover to cover. And then we go on from there. That's the foundation. That's where we go forth and proclaim Christ's righteousness. Not our own, but the Word of God. And then they teach you how to draw from Scripture and how to give to others and how to minister. I see more and more online classes these days. It's not what ministry is about. If I didn't have somebody like my dad ministering to me and my heart, who I was as a person face to face and that's what college is about it doesn't need to be faceless it needs to be honest you need to go to these nursing homes these missions and go out into the world Jesus what a friend of sinners sinners that need Christ doesn't call the righteous to repentance but sinners is who he calls And we need that face-to-face these days. So I praise God for what He's doing in the Middle East. And I praise God for what He's doing at Georgia Baptist College. Pray for us that we can become the next generation. That we can call other young people through the power of the Gospel, which I'm not ashamed of. That they can be called out to be ministers of the Gospel.
Thank you, Timothy. We're blessed to have students with us, but I'm sharing this with you. Uh, it don't matter how young or old they are, if they're called to preach, they don't know when to quit. I'm the same guy, so I'm just going to go ahead and do this quickly if I can. Show them how it's done. Amen. <laughs> We're turning our Bibles this morning to Second Timothy chapter uh, 2. And uh, I uh, want you to stand with me. That'll help you. And I promise you, uh, we're going to go past lunchtime, but I won't go far past it. Let's all stand. We're looking at 2 Timothy chapter 2. And we're going to look at two verses for our scripture reading this morning. In verse 1, Thou therefore, my son... Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Father, we ask you in Jesus' name to aid us with uh, the preaching and teaching of the Word of God today. Thank you for this congregation, this assembly. We ask for your anointing. We ask for the fullness of the Spirit of God. And we ask you to do here today what only you can do. I ask you now, Lord Jesus, if there's one in our midst without Christ, that today would be the day you'd bring them to the end of themselves in repentance and faith in Christ. I beg you, Lord Jesus, for those in our midst that are struggling hard with sin even as a believer and they're desirous Lord Jesus to please you will you not allow every one of us here to find that Christ Jesus is all I need and Father speak to our hearts enable us to accomplish your purposes and again glorify the Lamb of God in our midst we pray in Jesus name Amen thank you can be seated Interestingly enough, we're taught in the uh, Westminster Catechism, even in Spurgeon's Baptist Catechism, the chief question starts number one, what is the chief end of man? And of course, uh, we know that the answer is the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Now I remember early on whenever I was being taught uh, the Word of God and, and this catechism was used as a tool to help me in my early days. I remember meditating on it and thinking through it. The chief end of man is to glorify God. That stuck with me all these years. God doesn't save us just to go to heaven. God saves us that we might exalt and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. But somehow I've missed that last part. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. When I learn that the relationship we have with Jesus Christ brings joy, I want to say this to you. Some folk have just enough religion to make them miserable. 
I'm glad, praise God, in His saving grace and His work of regeneration in my own heart and life that uh, I have been able to enjoy God. I rise early in the morning. These boys, some of these guys know that uh, they have lived around me enough to know that I'm an early riser. I get up early in the morning. What a glorious thing it is to rise early in the morning before the sun ever comes up to greet the sun as it rises with the presence of the joy of the Lord in your midst. Sometimes we pray it feels like heaven's brass. Sometimes we take in the word of God and the water of the word and it doesn't seem to move very fast, but that it seems to move slowly. But then when he does come on the scene, he turns the water into wine and the joy of the Lord fills our hearts. Biblical missions and biblical evangelism, what we refer to as New Testament training concerning the ministry, is for us to learn to worship God. Let me plead with you to understand that uh, uh, God wants us to worship Him today. When you sit down and read the Word of God, you're to search the scriptures that you might have a heart that would indict a good matter concerning him. In John chapter 4, you remember the occasion of the woman at the well where Jesus gave her the gospel. And uh, they were debating over where was the place to worship. And Jesus said, but the hour cometh, and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. Let me just say this to you. If there's any worship goes on, it has to come with spirit and truth. Some of our Baptist friends, they really dogmatically hammer truth, but they're afraid of the Holy Spirit. Then we have some other folk that they, they think the Spirit does it all. They don't even have to study. That's not right either. But there is a balance of Spirit and truth. My prayer is that we be doctrinally sound. I uh, took it on myself years ago when I started educating pastors. And I've been a teacher most all of my life. I started out teaching middle school high school, yeah, college, and then graduate school. And I love teaching. Not more than preaching, but preaching ought to include teaching. And if you're a real good teacher, your whole purpose for teaching is change. If you're a good preacher, your purpose is change. We're not up here just to entertain people. We're hoping lives will be changed. For the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. True biblical missions is the divine intervention of God as God produces worshipers through us that this concept of worshiping God where real worship's going on in the power of the Spirit of God is catching. Somebody else wants to get in on it. I'm going to promise you this. <laughs> I've been in places where I didn't want what they had. I said, oh God, don't give me this. But I've been in several places where the Spirit of God was bearing on truth 
and allowing the man of God to stand. And beyond that man's ability, the Spirit of God would work through and minister the hearts of others. I was recently standing in uh, in a uh, classroom in Egypt. I remember I'd just got through lecturing, and after I'd been teaching a while and lecturing a while, our situation is is that we take breaks ever so often. Because we teach on module form, we'll go in and teach an entire semester in seven to ten days. It's amazing. We start at eight o'clock in the morning. We finish at ten forty-five at night. Praise God, the teachers tag team on those students. So those students have to take a break in the middle of the day. And we learn that because they'll go to sleep on you at night and may even get up in the morning sleeping. So you have to work with them. So we usually give them about two hours in the afternoon. But uh, it was one of those break times where they brought me my coffee or my tea, I've forgotten. But they brought it to me and and uh, I'm going to be honest with you, uh, it, if you have had an experience on the mission field, you'll learn to make sure you examine stuff before you start turning it down. Uh, you, you look for the gnats and the flies and everything else. You don't mind sharing, you just don't want to eat them, amen. Uh, so you, you're standing there, and I was with my cup of coffee, thanking God. And uh, all of a sudden I look up and here's 14 men standing around me. I remember the number called. I counted them. They were South Sudanese. Big men. So I'm looking up at all these guys. And one of them was named Philemon. He's the leader of the pack. Uh, they call him Philemon. I said, okay, I'll go for that. Philemon walked up to me and says, Dr. David, that's how they talk, call me there. Dr. David, do you know why we love you so much? And I said, no. Uh, I guess it's pure grace of God. Because I know where God brought me from. I said, no, no, no. We love you because you believe like we do. And I'm standing there, I'm the professor, and they're the students, and they're telling me that I believe like they do. I was hoping that they believe like I did. And he went on to say to me, I said to him, I said, I thought, I thought you would say you believe like I do. And he looked at me and said, it don't matter anymore. We believe alike. And in a few minutes... He looked up into my eyes and said, You've marked us forever. I'll never forget that, Brother Paul. Our lives have been marked forever. We'll never be the same. I said, uh, What do you mean by that? He said, The classes that we sit in here with Dr. Lacelius and with you and with other professors you bring in, they're marking us for God. They're teaching us truth. And they're marking us. And everywhere we go, people say, hey, these guys, we know where they've been. They've been sitting at the feet of a teacher somewhere. Years ago, I had a 
had a seminary professor that made this statement. said, the best learning situation is two men on a log. One teacher, one student. And iron sharpeneth iron as they go back and forth. Brother Tim was saying a few minutes ago, online teaching and what have you is okay, but it's not like sitting with somebody that is prayed through the doctrinal issues, like sitting with someone that knows the ways of God as well as the Word of God. We have a lot of people who know the Word of God but don't know the ways of God. That's where the Spirit comes in. But I remember that uh, God gave me two of the greatest pastors ever. Uh, Dr. Ray Bearden was my first one. I was off in college and they were trying to confuse me there. Amen. I went to a Southern Baptist Junior College. The academic dean had the audacity to make such a statement as you don't have to believe in the virgin birth to be a Christian. I said, what? My local church taught me better than that. Amen? You say, what are you saying to us? I'm saying that it's important that we understand that this truth that is real in the life of a man of God is caught by that student and he comes away convinced of truth too because the Holy Spirit has taught him that truth. This principle of God teaching us and God bringing the Word of God to us. And sometimes God uses feeble servants to bless others that think they're high and mighty. God help us to understand God will use any man or woman or even a boy or girl that will settle it in their hearts I want to be used to God. We can learn it from the hymn that's been sung so many years, channels only. You see, I have no abilities of my own when it comes to ministry. I can study the Word of God, and the Word of God can be taught me by the power of the Spirit of God, and I can learn a whole lot of academics. But I can't communicate that to a blind man or a man dead in trespasses and sin, God has to quicken them. God uses His Word to quicken. God's program is the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. And I say this, I thank God every day for Brother Bearden marking my life. Then Dr. Ray M. Brown was my pastor. Dr. Bearden taught me the importance of intercessory prayer and pastoral leadership. Dr. Brown taught me expository preaching. Line upon line, he would say. Precept upon precept. I've come in from college classes, and I'd go by the church library. I'd open up the door, and there I had refuge, a place to study, because... Brother Bearden had made it clear that the study at the church was mine. I remember going in the door oftentimes, brother, and as I start down the hall, I could hear a man of God groaning. 
our knees into the study alongside me, be prostrate before, agonizing in prayer before Almighty God. You don't learn that in the classroom. You learn that by being with a man of God that knows prayer. I know that I would go in before the throne of grace and lie down in the floor beside him because I didn't know what else to do. He was the leader. And it was there I caught the vision that God will answer prayers. That we can intercede and that God carries on his ministry more than just a professional something. It is God calling shepherds, teaching them the ways of God, and giving them the power of God. I go by Dr. Brown's later on. He would say to me, he'd say, what are you studying? And I would tell him, he said, I'm studying such and such. I said, I've not heard you do a series on that before or preach on that. He said, oh, I've got hundreds of outlines just when God says, okay, to start preaching them. I've been studying them and hiding them away. He taught me the importance of studying verse by verse. You say, Pastor David, why are you rehearsing this with us? I believe God would use you as mamas and daddies to mark your sons and daughters for God. I believe God will use pastors to mark sheep for the glory of God. I believe that it's worthwhile for me to invest in young men. Pour my heart into them. Sit down with them. Listen to their complaints. Listen to their struggles. Listen to what they have to offer and try to direct them in a path. Preacher, what are you doing? Just like my pastors mark me, I want to mark them for God. I was in India and ministering. Brother Eliezer will tell you more about that sometime. But what a blessing it was when uh, my first trip in, I was with Dr. Jeeva Barag at Barak Bible College. It asked me to come in and lecture and also to preach at the commencement and then afterward be engaged in some evangelistic meetings and I told him I would I remember that while I was there he said I want you to go visit the Spurgeon of India and I thought okay I need to meet him I'm sure if there's a Spurgeon in India I need to meet him and uh, he said we're going to take you over to meet a man by the name of Buck Singh when I arrived there, I learned that Buxine was probably one of the greatest instruments used of God to touch and impact Asian Indians for the glory of God. I was told about a story how he was uh, a Sikh and wore a turban on his head until and never cut his hair until he went off to England to study. And while he was in England studying, God saved him. And off came the turban. And all of a sudden he had a haircut. Still had a brilliant beard. That's a, that's an Indian thing. But uh, here he was. When I walked in, he was real feeble. And his statement was to me, he had started, and he was Baptist, but he started a group that was known as the Hebrews. 
the idea of Hebron is the place of the presence of God. What I learned was that this man was not only an educated man, he went on to study in Canada and other places, but uh, his statement to me was, you're doing a good thing training men. This is what he said. When he said it, I was shocked. He said, a success without a successor is a failure. Whew. I got blown out of my chair sitting there listening to this old man. Do you know what we have today? We have churches that are declared successes. But they don't have men of God to succeed and to carry such a work on. It's a sad thing when we know more about God than we do know Him. Because knowing God and a fellowship with Him and a relationship with Him puts us in a position to impact other lives. Moses marked Joshua. I go through the study of the life of Moses and, and Joshua. I get just absolutely excited at times. I get over there about Exodus 33. And you remember Moses and Joshua have been up on Mount Sinai, I received the law. They come off the mountain. Joshua said, man, he said, uh, there's war going on in the camp. He said, no, that's not war. They're partying down there. It was a sad time. But Moses took charge when he came in. He called for all of those Levites who are on the Lord's side to come identify yourself. And those that will not identify with Almighty God, he said, I want you to go through and slaughter them all. You think, well, boy, that's terrible. That was harsh. That that was in the Old Testament day and not in the New Testament day. Let me just say this to you. God hates sin. God hates sin in believers as much as He hates sin in a lost world. God hates sin. Sin in the camp hinders. At AI... There was the truth of this learned, and old Joshua was able to handle it. Why? Because he'd been taught by somebody to discern the difference between partying and warfare. Let me just go a step further and point out to you that I find in chapters 32 and 33 particularly that Moses, Moses is going along and along behind him comes Joshua. God has said to Moses, I'll kill the whole outfit and raise up another generation with you. This is this man of God. Oh God, you can't do that. Lord, it's your honor. It's your integrity. The enemy will lie about you that you had power to bring them out of Egypt but you didn't have power to take them into the promised land. You see, Moses was more concerned about God's glory than he was about being promoted to a position that would make him look good before all the land. 
So Moses comes through the camp and he makes his way outside the camp and he goes to the tent because God has Moses' instruction has set the tent, the place of the meeting place of Almighty God, outside the camp. And old Moses makes his way out there where the Bible tells us that he talked to God face to face. But what was interesting was another fellow alongside him named Joshua. I love to read this because a little while Moses is through talking to God and he leaves the tent, goes back toward the camp. But the Bible says Joshua lingered behind. Why? He was in the presence of God. Let me share this with you. We need a generation of men of God that can give the sense of the presence and the power of God in their life to impact and mark the next generation. We could go on. How about this fella uh, named David? You say, what about David? (laughs) What a blessed thing. David, I love this, he impacted Jonathan. You realize that's the king's son he impacted? Did it ever dawn upon you that he impacted a band of mighty men that would be used of God in his day to bring glory to God in the land of Israel in the development of that country? You say, well, that's just two of them. No, there's Elijah and Elisha. You say, what are you seeing? I'm seeing a pattern that men of God ought to be marking men of God. That there'll be another generation. It's not all academics. It's two men on a log. One that's a teacher and one that's a student. And the teacher marking that student for the glory of God. Elijah marked Elisha. I tell you what, if I had time, I'd just teach the whole Bible on that subject. But let it be clear, he didn't stop there. Paul taught Timothy. You say in Titus? Yes, and Titus. But we need to understand that discipling requires three peoples. Number one, a teacher. Number two, a disciple. Of course, the Holy Spirit has to be operating in all of these. But thirdly, another disciple. You see, they tell us there, I, I, we keep old men all week long, they're passing little churches everywhere in Egypt, and they'll say to me, well, we're getting ready to get out of here. And after Saturday morning's classes are over, they're catching buses and they're running different places to catch trains and whatever to go back home to be in their pulpits on Sunday morning. I'd say to them, Well, I hope you have time to study to be ready. Oh, no, we have no problem. I said, You don't have any problem. He said, No, we're going to teach them what you've taught us all week long. Boy, I bet that was a sermon on Sunday morning. (laughs) You say, preacher, what are you saying? I'm simply saying to you, we see in 2 Timothy chapter 2, 
in verses 1 and 2, where he clearly says there, Paul said, be strong in the grace that's in the Lord Jesus Christ. The only pastors that are worth their salt are strong in grace. They're men that are full of the Holy Ghost, knowing that grace is the spirit of grace. And what a blessing it is that he said, teach, he says to Timothy, teach faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Look at it. You've got four generations there. Paul teaching Timothy. Timothy teaching faithful men. And uh, interesting enough, they're teaching fourth generation others. Let me just say to you, you say, Pastor David, these are the last days. Everything is so difficult and what have you. Same God. He hasn't changed. He is as holy as he ever been. He is as almighty as he has ever been. He's looking for a remnant. And I believe there's one right here. Let me just say this to you. God operates through the remnant. Those that are saying, I'm totally yours, God. Now use me. Get glory to yourself. And when your passion is, Lord, give me my sons. Give me my daughters. And if you don't have sons and daughters, give me some son or some daughter that doesn't have a Naomi to teach them or a real mama to teach them. Let me be their Naomi to teach a Ruth. Paul to teach Timothy and Titus you say Pastor Dave what do you say there's enough work to go around for all of us and real discipleship begins being strong in grace being the student of God that we ought to be that we'll have something to teach the next generation and it must be with integrity and godliness Let's quietly stand. I want to thank you for your attention. I realize that uh, it's hard for us to do what we're trying to do today as quickly as do, but uh, we're here for the day. Praise God. We're going to leave here and go eat. We don't want you to leave either. I know Baptists, they always cook enough for somebody else. Amen. But more importantly, just a commitment to God. You say, well, I'm too old. You don't get too old. He's the Lord of what's left. You say, well, you just don't understand. I'm young and I got a long, long haul ahead of me. I started when I was 18. God saved me when I was 13. I, started, I preached my very first sermon when I was 18 year old. And I'd never taught a Sunday school class. I didn't even know what to do. And God gave me a roommate that had a daddy who was a preacher, and he was a preacher and in college, and he said to me, this is how you do it. And we sat down together, and he taught me how to outline. He was just a year ahead of me. And I'm thinking, when I was thinking this message, his daddy taught him. And I was only a year into college, and he taught me. Not the classroom. Another young preacher. I believe it's very important for us to invest. 
invest our lives and the lives of others that they'll invest their lives in yet another which will make the church of the Lord Jesus Christ perpetual. So where are you? You say, well, I'm just not gifted in any area. (laughs) Praise God, all of us have the blessing of the privilege of prayer. I mean, you say, well, that's, that's not an important... Listen to me. More important than preaching is praying. Preaching's talking to people. Prayer's talking to Almighty God. Amen. And we have not because we ask not. You know, if we quit asking amiss and start believing God to do some miraculous things and some powerful things, why well, He'd raise up Elishas and Timothys and Tituses and He'd raise up a whole generation. You say, well, we're in trouble. But God is not in trouble. Yeah. Has it ever dawned upon you? There's not a king that rises to authority, but God so superintends and allows it. I don't, I tell you, I didn't vote for Biden. I like riding through here seeing all these signs for for President Trump and Pence still up. I think when I go through, I said they either don't know we've had an election or or they're still hanging on. But I go for it. But let us be understanding that our sovereign's in charge. Amen. He's more powerful than any Biden. I don't care what kind of mess, and it is a mess. I don't. I believe it's ungodly what he's doing. But maybe it'll help some of us that seek to be godly to get on our knees and say, God. If I don't become an investor, invest my Christianity in the next generation, there won't be another generation. Father, I pray that you'll take these truths and these stumbling thoughts and do a work, a change in our hearts. Put hope in there. Thank you for saving us. And thank you for giving us a reason to live and a purpose to live. And that's to reach someone else and change them for Christ's sake. Lord, let us be channels. We have no power to change lives. But you have chosen to use earthen vessels to reach the next generation. Use us, Lord. Oh, Spirit of God, breathe upon us here. In Jesus' name, amen.